I say as he, as he's taking that shot, he can see Villa Twitter. He can hear this podcast. He can feel <laughs> his body get colder as the spirit of Ronnie Rossenthal moves through it. He's not dead, but his, his reputation is after that chance. This is Paul McGrath. You're listening to the Villa Podcast. That morning sky gave me a look. So I left while you were sleeping. That's all it took. Merry Christmas, eh? We waited six weeks, six weeks for this, and you know what? We shouldn't have even bothered with the wrapping paper because we all knew what was inside. You know, a Villa performance, so Villa. It was bad, it was good, it was weak, it was threatening. It basically had all the ingredients to cook up a perfect Aston Villa storm. You know that sort of storm that would divide every supporter because one fan's shit performance was another fan's decent showing. And the truth is... We're all right. It was all shit. It was all decent. It was Aston Villa. You nearly missed the days of Steven Gerrard when everybody knew where they stood. You know, a bad performance with no redeeming qualities. And at least then we could all just get along. <laughs> and a happy new year. <laughs> yeah. I mean, can, can you really call it a good performance when, you know, call me old fashioned here, Conan. We're really quite bad at the two most important elements of football. I mean, <laughs> what is the point of creating that many chances? And I'm sure you're going to bring them back up. I think I figured out the format of this show enough now at this stage to know that they're going to feature later on in the podcast. What is the point of creating those chances if you're never going to score them? How many times? Like, why? We've got a fucking award category called the Ronnie Rossin for a fucking reason. And I, I, was, I was watching this. I was watching this game thinking, you know, Liverpool are making it really fucking hard to play against them, particularly in the first half. But we have to be better prepared for it. We have to be better prepared mentally to be prepared to get on the ball and to keep your head and understand that they're not always up your hole. I mean, have a look around sometimes and take a fucking touch. Don't panic just because they've spooked you after the first couple of minutes. You have to be better prepared to run. Or even step into space once we put a teammate in a compromising position instead of just directing them towards the fucking subway grate. Run over and hold down their fucking skirt. You know, don't just stand there and watch it billowing around with her knickers on show. And we had we had to be better prepared on the tactics board as well, better set up. How were we going to give Ashley Young a hand, for example? But maybe, maybe. Maybe looking like Young was exposed to getting Nunes as involved in the game as possible was actually intentional. Maybe that was the one of the traps that we had set up because that channel was always fucking open. But yeah. And we did sort it out in the second half. But like I said, what is the point of sorting it out? What is the point of you, like you say, saying we're grand you know, or were we good and bad? We weren't good and bad. We were just bad because we couldn't <laughs> defend and we couldn't fucking score. <laughs> They're the slight caveats to our performance <laughs> and our talent. And like, I'm going to come back to that as well because I think Villa are so close to getting it so right, um, and yet so far away. Obviously, like it's it is just the the scoring and the conceding is, is our problem. <laughs> <laughs> like, and I am joking, but being serious as well. Like, you know, and fitting with how we're starting this podcast because that is funny, but also serious. I I, I actually do rate Villa quite highly. And yet, how can I rate them so highly when they're so shit at the back and so shit at the <laughs> And I, I know, I know you're not advocating for just 
forgetting about those chances and just put everybody back. Put everybody back behind the ball and we'll concede less chances. I know that's not what you're saying, right? Of course it's not. <laughs> I'm saying you have to find the balance. Like you, I want us to be creating as many chances. We have to be a lot more solid. And we we're trying to give us... We got us in the second half. We got the chances, but we were never solid either. Even though we tried something slightly interesting, I'm just not sure if it worked that well. I'm not sure if a back three of Mings, Kanza and Young is ever going to give you the solidity you might need to play with as much freedom that we wanted to play with. Yeah. Well, let's go through the goals because... As bad as we are defensively a lot of the time, is there really a finger to be pointed in this one? Um, it's it's that beautiful Trent Alexander-Arnold ball that goes to Robertson. It's delicious. It comes out to the wrong man. Um, outside Laboot, whipped around the corner to Robertson's run, probably from the outside to the inside of Dina. And he gets it across to Salah first time, open net. And the thing about this is I was, I was happy initially because Leon Bailey beats... Darwin Nunes in the air and then he clears it and not only that he then sprints out and puts pressure on but the ball landed at Trent Alexander-Arnold's feet and of all the people you're going to clear it to it's probably the one you didn't want to yeah like the defending's fine I mean the, the clearance is grand I would say from Bailey but he does well to chase it down as quickly as as he does and, he, and he's not he's not a slouch getting out there by any means and the rest of the players get out to the edge of the box in time as well but the first pass is out of this world. And then the second pass from Robertson is is knocking around the stratosphere somewhere as well. I mean, it's an absolutely brilliant goal. And it's very rare that an opposing fan, particularly me, would, would watch a goal and just give it the old Remy guard. But, but, but not because we're shit for once, because what can you do? And when I say it's very rare, that's actually what I mean as well, because... Does John McGinn need to be more worried about Thiago, who's standing next to Trent Alexander-Arnold, 45 yards out? Or does he need to be worried about the lads sprinting in behind him into the box when the league's best passer is on the ball? I think it's the latter, Connor. Yeah, yeah. Well, we have found somebody to point a finger at at least. That, that, that makes me happy. <laughs> <sighs> the second goal, I mean, like, everybody fucking line up here. Um, well, no, in fairness, I think at this stage... I think at this stage, the Villa players are all fucked because if you had to chase that many Darwin Nunes offside runs that were never being flagged, <laughs> they were all wrecked. Like to Tyro Mings particularly, having to go from the halfway line back to the byline because that's where he runs all the time. And then Tyro Mings is lounging to get these balls out of play. And this goal starts from another offside run. It's not flagged because... Who knows? You know, let's just see what happens. What happens is teams get corners out of it and then they swing it in and then... Villa or that team that they let Mo Salah just just take the ball down in a six-yard box, block everybody out, tee it up for Van Dyke, who doesn't. Again, trying to think about this from an objective point of view or a non-biased point of view, you know, maybe maybe people are happy that he ripped the side Lynette with it. Eventually, got to seem to get a bit of fortune on the way there. Robin Olsen is if that ball goes anywhere near him, is he ready for that? He honestly looks like a hologram in there. I don't know. I don't know what he's expecting. He's not on guard. He's not ready to rock. I don't think he would have saved it the way that ball went. But it frustrates me over and over when I watch that goal back. Yeah, and whenever I first saw, it, yeah, I thought it was just what the fuck. Why has also not reacted? Why is he turning around his head as the ball's coming back over the line? I mean, it, it takes a deflection, is what I saw then. Fine. But the ball is, like I said, bouncing back off the inside of the net. And by the time Olsen reacts to it, and 
I know what age Olsen is. I mean, I checked during the fucking Brighton game. <laughs> but but I checked again. He's still 32. I mean, it's astounding. It's it's utterly baffling. I would say about about 10 minutes into this game, I was thinking, why did Conan or anyone listening not call me out and getting his age wrong last time? I didn't. He's, he's 32. Like, like, we'll probably come back to the fact that he can't move at some stage of this podcast as well, but he can't even see the ball, Conan. It's amazing. He can't keep up with it. His head's moving around following the ball. Following being the operative word, he's constantly behind its line of flight. And look, I know Philip Marshall is, is untested at this level, but Olsen is tested and he has failed fucking miserably. Like, what is the point of doing the test? This is real life. When else do you get the chance to see someone attempt to do their job and then be able to replace them if it's not working out with such ease? And the weird thing is, he essentially had a public interview for the last 12 years of his fucking career as well. I mean, we, we could all see his previous output. He wasn't able to lie on his CV. You know, Jose Mourinho wasn't able to foist him on us. I, I, I can imagine, I imagine calling him up. You know, I, I just have a CV in front of me here for a, for a Robin Olsen and, you, and you're listed as his current employer. I, think I, I just wanted to run a few things past you. Under skills, he's put able to move. <laughs> is, is, is that a fair reflection? And you know very few people think Mourinho is as big a cunt as I think he is. But, but I don't even think he would lie about this. <laughs> if I speak. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he adopted that strategy. The, yeah, the Olsen thing is is weird. I think there's there's some people just looking to be a little kind because <laughs> is this the first glimmer of opportunity to be able to be kind to Robin Olsen in his four games for Aston Villa? I mean, I know it's an all three goals he's conceded. Um, probably, probably the least worst performance of his. So I think some people are trying to say, like, and I think it's fair to say we didn't lose this game because of Robin Olsen. So now there is a, okay, let's just say, you know, fine, that was grand Robin because now we all know Emmy Martinez is coming back anyway and we know that was a game that he didn't fuck up personally. But I still don't think he was good. I, I still think he he sends nerves right through the team. I could see Mings a couple of times, Ashley Young. Do you know when there's a bit of indecision? There's obviously a lack of communication the lack of movement that he offers off his line, there's there's a little look that they're giving him. It's like, oh, fuck, fuck you. <laughs> you know, it's you can see that they're just a bit pissed off of him, not trying to make it too obvious, but they can't hide it and they can't bring themselves to say, thumbs up, it's fine, don't worry about it. I, you know, Because they don't feel like he's got their back and then that sort of then is not reciprocated the other way around and that's their relationship that a subpar goalkeeper gives you. And I think if we're all honest, and maybe maybe it's not the night that we need to be completely mean about Robin Olsen, but if we're all honest, he was subpar yet again, and he is subpar, and that that's now 14 goals in, in four games. Like, it's not <laughs> it's not good reading. No, like, and people are being kind to him as well, but why? Because Darwin Nunes smashed one off his ankles, and because he dived across a cross shot from Darwin Nunes and got a tam on it, and it might have made its way to Salah if he didn't do that. Yeah. But you, you, you can't you can't have a sub goalkeeper where every time your number one is out, you wake up with a, a feeling in your stomach that you just can't you can't place what's wrong with you. Yeah. You know you were eating fine. 
the night before, the day before, you know you weren't drinking the night before and you wake up and you just feel physically ill because you know that Emmy Martinez isn't there and you're playing a fucking football match. <laughs> we should have saved that chat for this next uh, topic because I'll go to the first offside goal. It was the one that Joel Matip scored, Andy Robertson, another nice ball from him from the left. The header in, he is offside. Olsen was never going to save it. And that's not because it was a good shot. It was because Olsen was never going to save it. <laughs> just looked in and again, you're thinking, are you going to shuffle across there to, to try and get that? Are you going to move your feet? Because the opportunity is there. It's not a bullet header. It's far enough away. It's looping. Move across and get it. Like, what? come on. <laughs> Exactly. Move your fucking feet. I mean, I think Rabbit Olsen has confused being confronted with being with someone bearing down on goal with being confronted by a fucking bear. I mean, he just collapsed on the ground and hope Matip went away and that his header went wide. You can't just play dead whenever someone has a fucking shot. <laughs> um, Villa did get back into the game. Oh, before that, well, I suppose we'll talk about the the offside goal, the Villa offside goal first, Ollie Watkins. I mean, have you ever heard these four words describing Ollie Watkins? Nice, cultured, cool finish. <laughs> and that's what the commentary said. That's what Andy Townsend, I think it was, that said it. I don't know if it was him or Clive Tilson. I'm pretty sure it was Andy Townsend. He bursts away. His touches are all right. They're all just the right amount of distance in front of him that he can run back onto it and touch it again and <laughs> the finish the finish is perfect his angle of his run is, is perfect brilliant goal and he's just standing offside and he probably doesn't need to be so a bit frustrating from that point of view and he I think the pass was delayed initially because he was offside it was almost like are you going to come back on here and then he looked to almost get on in fairness he was almost on but he wasn't on was he <laughs> No, he was comfortably offside, in fact. I mean, I actually think he seemed to be doing everything slightly wrong in the build-up to the strike. I mean, not moving quickly enough, not getting the ball out of his feet just far enough, and then shooting too early as well. But it was an absolutely glorious strike. But this is the life of a centre-forward as well, because the next time he gets anywhere near the opposition box and doesn't just rifle it into the bottom corner, I'm not going to be happy. Um the F- Villa goal, the, I was going to say the first Villa goal, the only Villa goal. Trent Alexander-Arnold actually goes full Ezra Konza then with his clearance, balloons it up into the air. Uh, we'll come back to that Ezra Konza clearance when the ball was dropping over his head. But uh, Trent tried to, obviously tried to thump it clear, it went into the air. Um, it comes out to the right wing, sort of the the left of Liverpool's box really, um, Villa's right. John McGinn gets it out to Dougie. Douglas O'Hee's Beautiful ball. He goes full Trent Alexander-Arnold with the ball. <laughs> it whips in. <laughs> and it's, it, in fairness, it's a perfect ball. He's, he's done all the work for Ollie Watkins, but it is still a really good finish from Watkins. He's He's gotten his head over it. He's gotten it down. He's drilled it back where it came from into the side of the net. No chance for the keeper, but all the credit, I think, does go to Douglas Louise. It's absolutely delicious from Dougie. Vision and execution, my two favourite things. And the, the header from Watkins is very good. It's not easy. In fact, it was one of the more difficult chances we had during the game. Yeah. And that's the one that just goes straight into the bottom corner when one of the best goalkeepers in the world can't get near it. And the third goal, the one that put it out of sight, the young boy comes on and it's Bajecic. I think I'm butchering that, but um, I'm, I'm sure as he gets more famous, we'll all be able to get a good grasp of it. Uh, <laughs> 
this was quite annoying, and we'll come back to the tactics and stuff later, but Mings cleared the ball, and there was nobody there. Like, it was just in the centre circle. And you could tell at that stage, everybody was dead in their feet. And I did exclaim at the time, we need some fucking subs on the pitch, because it wasn't a bad clearance from Mings. It just goes into the centre circle, and there's nobody there to put pressure on the ball. And Joe Gomez is just coming powering out. He's supposed to be at right back at this stage, and he just comes strolling out with the ball and he plays it over the top just one pass over the top and Darwin Nunes is away that's the one you're talking about Olsen well that's not even the one you're talking about but Olsen parries this one into the box you know I think it's a it's a strong shot from Nunes who Olsen gets a strong hand on it which is what we could ask of him really and then it's good composure from the Spaniard <laughs> and uh, he takes it round the keeper and he knocks it through Mings's legs um, yeah, and that's that's game out of sight. Really disappointing because Villa were in the ascendancy at that stage. Yeah, I think Konza has to know where Nunez is and accept that he's beaten by the quality of the pass as well and then redirect his run to protect his goal. If he runs under the flight of the ball instead of running in a straight line, maybe he thinks he'll punish Nunez's touch and I'm I'm more than willing to accept that maybe what he was thinking, but he's actually he's actually just lost and he's he's made a bad decision and it's it's just it's just a poor piece of positional play. And to be fair to Olsen, he does need to get to that first shot, and he gets up and he gets out to Bajetic pretty quickly, <laughs> who was who was obviously watching the World Cup final and copies Di Maria's moment of genius and kicks it into the ground up and over Olsen, and it's it's really a fantastic piece of skill from the young man. Yeah. And then he just kind of hacks at it, and like, can Mings do anything about it? Can he get his knee down to the ground quicker? Maybe, but I think we're really nitpicking there. I think the game had gone away from Villa at that stage. We had done as much as we could up to that point, and then we were absolutely fucked. Yeah. All right. Let's uh, leave that there. We'll go to the awards, but first we'll go to WhatsApp winges. Some fines to hand out first before we get into WhatsApp whinges. Uh, Ollie Watkins did a few people kicking the ball out for throw-ins, find and touch fines. Uh, Ollie Watkins found touch. I don't know if you remember in the first half, a couple of lovely little interplay down the left-hand side. Nice touches. And Luca Dean goes away. Ollie Watkins just hits it out for a throw-in. He just doesn't uh. look at him. You know, he, I think it's Buendia. I think it's Luca Dean. Maybe Douglas Louise. And then Watkins gets it, and he doesn't—he just doesn't look up to see where Luca Dean is, who is going at a decent pace. Just put it in front of him, but by God, he puts it in front of him, and he just knocks it out for a throw-in, and not needed. And then Robin Olsen does one where he—he he, he goes for Demi Merton, his passing, floating it on the crown of the fullback's head. Uh, <laughs> instead, he just floats it right out of play. He was looking for Luca Dean as well. Bubakar Kamara was looking for Luca Dean. <laughs> Everybody looking for the poor left back. And he was um he was just trying to tidy something up. He had his back to Liverpool's half and he just knocked it out of play unnecessarily. Um they're the people who found touch anyway before I go on to the rest of the fines. What do you think of those those chumps? I mean that's as close as awesome we'll ever get to Martinez, really. Uh, <laughs> uh and the the, the the Camara one was because his head was fucked because of how the game had gone, and the Watkins one was because his head was fucked because for some reason it seemed our players weren't prepared for Liverpool to be running aggressively at them when they had the ball. <laughs> and then Leon Bailey thinks, I won't notice this one because it's a cross and he's in the box. He thinks, oh, maybe I'll get away with this one when I try to cross this with my right foot. And even though it's going to go wide, it's going to go out of play, I'm trying an in-swinger cross with my right foot 
I'm going from right to left and it's going to go out of play past the far post. He thinks I won't count that as a match cash cross when it's whipping <laughs> out for a th- for a go for a goal kick. Um, he was looking for Watkins. He didn't find him. He, he found a goal <laughs> kick. Uh, and all the week's wages for Leon Bailey. Yeah, that guy's in real danger of never bringing any home, any <laughs> money home. And uh, the weird thing about that was that uh, Watkins gave him the thumbs up and you know, sort of clapping his hands aggressively to say, come on, get back in the game here. It was very fucking polite of Ollie Watkins. <laughs> the first WhatsApp wins. Is Tyrone Minx trying to take the sting out of the home crowd? <laughs> Remember, like things were really getting going, especially in the second half, and then it would get played back to him. Like, they, like Liverpool were scrambling; they were looking tired. We were on top. We had them penned. Then we had, we had a lovely semicircle around him. We were banging it around. There was intensity. Everybody was feeling confident. And the times it had to go back to Tyrone Mings, he strolled up to it like we were one nil, two nil up. I'm trying to just take this thing out of the game. He strolled up to it like. We needed a breather, and he gave Liverpool the breather. It was so annoying. Yeah, it was particularly annoying because I can't remember who it was. It was either Dougie or Buendia were buzzing back out to get on the ball, and Tyrone Mings kind of stepped into their space and took it, and then they just had to move away again, obviously. There's no point in standing next to him. But <laughs> it was it was bizarre because then he just stood on the ball for what felt like you know two or three seconds putting his hands down to the ground, and we never recovered from it. I mean, that was the moment. That was when we were playing well. We were on top of Liverpool. That was the moment to continue to take a few risks in attack. Because Jerome Mings is about 15 yards inside his own half, or inside Liverpool's half there as well. And we had them pushed back. Yeah. And there was no Liverpool player near it. Let the midfielder get back on the ball. If you stepped up there and you fucked it up, just rolled him straight away and just let them get on with the game. You need yeah. fucking standing on the ball. The second WhatsApp point, you sort of touched on this already. Um, it goes stop fucking panicking it's only Darwin Nunes and Oxley Chamberlain closing you down <laughs> <laughs> so I get that the press is, is is intense and it would scramble your brain and yeah I get that it's very well orchestrated and very well done but yeah like you know, if you lose it it's, it's usually going to be fine just don't lose it to Trent don't lose it to Robbo don't lose it to Salah you know, don't just don't panic as much as you're panicking is the point here. It's and, and most of the time they do have space, but so often Villa were just hatching at balls when they could have just taken a look around. When the defenders saw anybody in their peripheral vision, they just had a shit clearance. They poked it away. Just take a touch, it's fine. Like I know they're they're rapid. I know they're mad for it. But it's okay. Even if you do lose it, I wouldn't worry too much. It just just in this current guise at the minute. Yeah, and like you said before as well, like these guys aren't good at tackling. They're good at pressing, so you don't panic that much. You've always got a second where you can step around them. I know they're closing you down, but, you know, Khan's is good on his feet. So is Young, so is Mings. Like, they're not absolutely dreadful. They can sidestep Darwin Nunes, running like a headless chicken at them. And the, the really annoying thing is that sometimes it's Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain who's closing you down. So yeah. absolutely do not panic. <laughs> <laughs> and the thing that was actually really, really dragging us down was everybody said nobody wanted to get on the ball. So it wasn't the person on the ball that was the issue at all times. It was the everyone else. No one else was dropping into space. They weren't helping out their teammates. We, for the first 15, 20 minutes of that, everybody on that pitch was a shit teammate to each other because we were passing balls off and then just watching going, Jesus, I hope Bailey can get out of that 30 yeah. yards from his own byline with his fucking Robertson and Darwin Nunes closing them down from two different sides. Yeah. 
the last WhatsApp wins, <laughs> and again mentioned at the top of the show, but they're good. They're just shite. <laughs> and I, I do think we're a defence away and a world class striker away from <laughs> from really pushing on it. No, I think the reason that this is so um, I can feel this one in my gut so much is Newcastle aren't that good, are they? They're not that good if you look at their team. I know they spent a lot. I know they've got a whole new defence. It's not that good a team. I, and, and I think Villa do create a lot of chances. I th- like. I don't mean that you know, we have to put these chances away. I think, I, I think I'm largely happy watching Villa because I know they can open teams up, whoever it is. It's, it is fun. It is good to know that you can have Kamara and Douglas Oiz Largely good at holding the fort, but brilliant at moving the ball through the lines. And you can have a choice of, you know, who's going to play off the strikers that are usually good at turning and playing people through. And you've got a choice of strikers who will miss. But it, it's 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 good. <laughs> it's good knowing that you can just cut these teams. It's not pathetic watching Aston Villa. Is the point? Um, <laughs> and they're not that far away, especially if Newcastle. Newcastle are sitting second in the league tonight. Yeah, absolutely. And we've got a really good base of players there for Emery now to figure out what he wants to do with him and who he needs to improve. And the things that he's shown us have been definitely good. I mean, the biggest problem with Emery tonight was he didn't instill enough confidence on the players on the ball. He didn't get them prepared enough mentally for this type of game. And he didn't react quickly enough. But everything he did was good. And that's good in the long run. This is only his third game in the league as well. I mean, he didn't have a whole lot of time to work with all the players. There, there's no doubt that Aston Villa will be fine. <laughs> That's good. That's what I wanted to hear. <laughs> and we'll leave that there because we've got a few awards to go through. And do you know what? I'm going to mix it up. I'm not going to start with the Ronnie Rossenthal Award. So that should keep you until after the break. Dean Smith is a brilliant manager who gets the best out of this incredibly limited squad. Great to see the away fans stay afterwards and the volume of Dino, Dino, Dino ringing around. This is what happens when a well-coached team plays an uncoached team. It's a fucking joy to watch. Joy to watch. Uh, Dan Hank Dean's yeah, doing a brilliant job. brilliant job. To actually take him back to the Premier League. Premier League. And it is such high risk, high risk, high risk. But that's okay. okay. That is what life is all about. Yeah. Risk taking is where you find the joy in life. And Dean Smith is a roller coaster fan. Dean Smith, Dean Smith has never, never met a woman that he fancied and didn't tell her. He was the first across that void, that parted sea, the divide between the boys and the girls in the school disco. And Saucer's just in the fucking corner getting the wedgie. Corner getting the wedgie. Villa are in a good place right now. Right, right. Dino, 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 Dino. 
I've had so many people say to me it's the best day they've ever had in their lives. So. Let's start with uh, Tim Sherwood. We played two number 10s and bamboozled them award. Um, well, I only have one nomination. I don't even know if it's a nomination, but it's just a tactical thing that I wanted to talk about. And again, you've talked about the back three of Young, Kanza and Tyrone Mings. It was just an interesting, like I've seen this a lot now, and that bit of asymmetry at the back. Uh, like United do it very notably, where Dalo will stay back with the two centre-backs and let the, let the left-back push on, Man City do it. Um, it's just an interesting one to see Villa do it and do it with actually Young at the back. And you could very clearly see that it wasn't just that tactic, it wasn't just let Luka Dean bomb on. Um, it was it was even Mings and Kanza and Young weren't showing for the ball. They weren't giving and going. They weren't moving out of position. And I think that's probably the way to play against Liverpool. So that's why it might be in this category. It's, it's, sorry, it's one way to play against Liverpool is to not get completely cut open at the back on the break especially. So it's not something to really rave about, but just something that I noticed. Yeah, it is one way to play against Liverpool to not get completely cut open. Unfortunately, we got completely cut open repeatedly. <laughs> I'm sensing you want to go to the Ulick Glen Whelan, take a 90 minute Um But you know what? I think, because there's a few what-the-fuck moments as well that we're going to go through, but the biggest one here that we really need to talk about is the free kick. I mean, Austin McPhee, here we go again. Um, the free kick that led the Aston Villa free kick on the right hand side that led to the Mo Salah chance. I mean, we've we said this far too often. Aston Villa have an attacking free kick, and the other team get ready. This is your big opportunity. Um, I don't know how many people remember this, but Villa for a Tony Pulis style free kick. You know that one ten yards inside their half, over on the wing. They have three players around it. Not only that, it's it's one of our one of our strikers essentially is Leon Bailey's over there. Douglas Louise is over there. Luca Dean is over there from left back over to the right. They're all standing over this and now now it's time to get creative. Leon <laughs> Bailey goes running into the corner. Douglas Louise jogs over it. And then about two seconds later, so nobody's fooled by this, not that they would care because it's forty yards away from the box. Luca Dean comes up to hit it, hits the first man, Liverpool brick. <laughs> Liverpool brick. Meanwhile, Leon Bailey's running to the corner. Douglas Louise has gone jogging over it. And Luca <laughs> Dean is, is standing on the right wing. And Mo Salah, all people, is fucking flying down our pitch towards our goal. And for some reason, it's left to poor Douglas Louise to try to catch him. And he tries his best. He really tries. <laughs> He's not going to catch him. He even starts reaching out his arm, trying to pull him back. He can't even get his hand on his fucking shirt. And this, this all comes... Once again, from an Aston Villa free kick, the most the most elaborate guileless free kick of all time. <laughs> two people, <laughs> two people dummying a forty-five yard inswinger from the sideline that doesn't even beat the first man. Yeah. And do you know what the most annoying thing about this was? Apart from everything I just said, you know, its conception and its existence. The most annoying thing about this is that everyone involved in this had the last six weeks off working together. <laughs> Austin McPhee had these three players coming, and this is what he got them to do. What in the name of fucking Christ was going on in Dubai? 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. And it brings us on nicely to... I mean, these guys, most of these guys did have a lot of time together there. They had a time to build up a fitness bank. I think it's hard to maintain your fitness levels when, obviously, you're playing against Liverpool and you're, and you're chasing a game as well. And I really think, I, I really think as much as I'm... I'm buzzing about Unai Emery and what a great start it's been. And even tonight, I've said often that it was good as much as it was bad. <laughs> we really let, I think he really let the team down by not freshening it up and not doing it when when we really needed it, but when I think it really would have injected something into the game as well. And and he did it too late. Like he waited until the third goal went in. And, and by that stage, it was like, what was what's the point in having five subs if you're only waiting until the 84th minute anyway to, to bring them on? So Liverpool freshened the team up and they really needed to because they were on the on the ropes. And I understand it's hard sometimes to, to want to change when you're a manager and things are going well, but it wasn't like everybody was clicking, everybody was operating, everybody was at like at the limit. They, they were obviously, there were obviously so many players that were beginning to decline and there were some of them were flailing and there were some obvious substitutions to be made and he just didn't do it at the right time and once again I can see I can see the thinking I can understand the logic but I think it was wrong in this case yeah and you just said there it's hard to make changes when everything is seems to be going well but and you've touched on it as well it is hard to make changes when that's happening but the subs that he ended up making were all like for like changes so he shouldn't have been that yeah. worried about it because it was so obvious who needed to come off. The players were so fucked and that was obviously impacting them so badly. I mean, they weren't running. They weren't thinking. They weren't able to hit the ball. I mean, but Buendia does some lovely things on the ball, but he's he's so slow and weak that if they're not all landing, you've, you've got yourself a passenger and he became a passenger very quickly in that second half because he was fucked and he needed to be taken off. I still don't know if Bailey has 90 minutes in his legs. I mean, every game he seems to get sloppier and sloppier as the game just progresses on. And McGinn, McGinn's head was gone after he missed that sitter. I mean, sorry, his head was obviously gone at the point just before he decided to head that. But he needed to come off as well. <laughs> the, the irritating thing about Dinia is that he was so prominent in the game. <laughs> he was trusted as the solution to our attacking woes in the second half. And the and he was done. I mean, he didn't look like he had it left in his legs. He also just wasn't playing at his level at any stage during the game. He was deliberative. He was clumsy on the ball. And he was just missing that cleanness on the ball that he normally brings. And we had we had options to change that as well. Like we, Then Donker, you could have brought him on and switched, switched Young over to the left. You could have had Cash on and switched the point of attack. But again, you can have some sympathy for Emery because what he was doing was working, trying to get Dinho on the ball. So when Dinho get on the ball, it was falling down. <laughs> <laughs> he did, like, he started falling over more and more as the game wore on, and it just seemed like a tired fall. Like, the lights were being knocked out from his head, and he, he was stumbling over quite often. And bit of sympathy, because, he, yeah, he, like you say, he was in it all the time. But <laughs> I would have preferred, considering the performance level, a couple of nice balls, but... Considering the performance level and considering where we know where we can get there, I would have preferred if he was on it less in this case. <laughs> um, let's do the Rosenthal Award because like you've touched on a couple there. The, the first one was the it was the walking shot. It was a tame enough shot, but Douglas Louise is on the right hand. Some nice movement from Villa. Lovely McGinn turn, uses ours really well to to get out of trouble and, and burst forward, find Buendia in that little hole. 
who just lifts it over the top. We're all looking to the left, just just banging out to the left. There's a bit of space. Maybe Buendia knew what was coming for Luca Dean, so he just went straight to the source himself and went to went to Watkins. It's bouncing in front of him, hits it too early, doesn't really get anything on it. Um, and the other one I wanted to mention at the top, uh, the first two nominations was the. McGinn ball um, to Watkins, lovely ball. He gets it on the right and he moves it on to his left and he does that in-swinging cross. And it's a great touch from Ollie Watkins. Like he's, he's in over the top, great touch. And he just drills it off the keeper and it's like, fuck me. Like what? You've done you've done the hard work. You've touched it in front of yourself. It's sitting up for you. McGinn's put you through and he hits it off the keeper. And I've never seen a man so desperate for the flag to go up he's he's looking over appealing to the linesman to see if he'll put the flag up for offside desperately looking for the flag if you said appealing he was pleading with the <laughs> linesman because he can i say as he, as he's taking that shot he can see villa twitter he can hear this podcast he can feel <laughs> his body get colder as the spirit of ronnie rosenthal moves through it he's not dead <laughs> But his reputation is after that chance. And Ollie Watkins' reputation is going in that same direction if he starts start putting these fucking one-on-ones away. Yeah, like he, he was he was appealing for an offside there. Like he was a defender. Like he was, <laughs> he was the striker and he was over to the linesman to say, what the fuck, put it up. You know, why are you making us all run back here? <laughs> uh, definitely wanted out of jail there. Let's go to the first Leon Bailey air shot. I mean, if ever anybody wanted to see a replication of, of me playing golf, I mean, this was it. I mean, the ball sat up for him on oh, his left foot. Well, he 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 opts to go with his left foot anyway. <laughs> coordination's just not there. Like, it's, it's, <laughs> talk about me playing golf. There's just no coordination. There's there's nothing synced up with um with a with a swing. Like, it, it, it's not smooth. It, it's it's like it's like he's using an object for the first time. But this object is his left leg. And he's swinging too hard. Ultimately, he just misses. He comes under the ball. And it's just, just awful. It gets really bad. And we've had a bit of fun with Leon Bailey over the last year. But the Leon Bailey I know from the last month, or well, the last month of games, Aston Villa games, I expect him to fucking bang that away and, and run away to say, yeah, obviously, I, like that was bad. It, it looked like he was swinging his foot after the ball was behind him. I mean, he ran past the ball and then swung a foot at it anyway. He looked like that fucking Charlie Brown gif. He, he actually looked like someone someone was threw a rugby ball onto an ice rink and he went, it looked like me doing this, skating over and tried to fucking volley it as it went up on the second bounce. It was a fucking disaster. It's unforgivable. <laughs> yeah. Um, speaking of unforgivable, I mean, some big chances from Aston Villa tonight. Kamara, lovely switch of play over to the right hand side. John again on the right hand side gets it onto his left in swinging cross. Like that's like it's a good pattern. Like and everybody knows what's happening when he moves it onto his left out there. Uh, Watkins diving header, nothing on it, and you can see Emery shouting afterwards. And I was wondering, what is he shouting there? Like what? What, what is he shouting? And I know. If it was being dubbed over by the Villa podcast, it would be something like "he's a fucking cunt." But like that was a that was a big chance that he missed. It was incredible for McGinn, who has this in his locker, but he can just not find it that often because his locker is full of the dweebs he stuffed in there with his arse, and it's nowhere near good enough for Molly Watkins. And it's a deserving winner of the Ronnie Rossenthal Award if it came on any other night of the year. <laughs> 
yeah, it is, it is going to be interesting. Um, because there's two more big ones. Like we we can suppose we can just mention the the second Leon Bailey air shot. Like this time he goes with his right foot. Ollie Watkins leaves the ball. I think it's from Luca Dean. Really nice from Ollie Watkins to to, to know what's happening behind him, and he, he gets over the ball, leaves it for Bailey. He's got all the space. He's got the time to see the ball coming at him. He even goes with his instep because he's sitting up. He thinks, right, I'll just I'll just get this on target. Once again, he misses the ball. I mean, it's it's an all-around shot and the last nomination, the last nomination. Fair to see Luca Dean. <laughs> it's an all Luca Dean ball. Um, misses everyone. It it goes right through. There it is, John McGinn. What is he? Eight yards out. Just he's got the time because everybody's missed it. He's he's just ghosted in at the back post, like you know, Mac Trezeguet is back. You know, get that down, <laughs> thump it in. He does it again. He fucking did it again. He goes with his head. He goes with his head again on a bouncing ball. He tried to head it and he heads it into his fucking shoulder. And he looks sheepish afterwards. And John McGinn was having a good game. And from that moment, I thought, get him off the pitch now. Because what that, what sort of decision was that? Never mind execution. Use your head and don't use your fucking head. We've all been here before. How how has John McGinn done this once in his career? Never mind twice. Never mind twice in the same season. Just remember a couple of months ago when you did it and the fucking disaster that that was for everybody involved last time with a football club. You can't just run into it. It's bouncing up. Take no one near you. Take a touch. Take a touch and just put that in the net. This is what you do. You're a professional footballer. Take it down. And I see a lot of people were saying it bounced up high. He's bent at the fucking hips. And, that, <laughs> and if you think that's a defence to say he had to go with it with his head, then why didn't he go with it with his fucking head? Why is his shoulder stopping him from going out for a throw-in? <laughs> this is the other thing. Do you know these two big chances he's missed? And he really, really shouldn't have gone with it with his head. But he should have done a lot better. He should have done a lot better <laughs> with his head now that he's decided to do this. I still think he could have scored with his head from those positions. But he doesn't need to do it. That, that's the, the overriding thing. He's got the time. He's got the space. He's got the opportunity to put it onto his left foot and fucking volley it from six yards out by the time he'll be hitting it. And he chooses not to do it on two occasions this season. It's madness. And I think the fact that he, he does so badly with his head as well really emphasises the fact that he shouldn't have gone with his head. And I don't mean because he's obviously not a header of the ball, because it's a really fucking difficult thing to head that as well. Yeah, it's a lot more yeah. difficult than to get it under control and smash it in. It has to be the winner, right? Like, that's the winner over... Like, Leon Bailey should have scored... De- like The first one definitely should have been a goal. The second one... Like oh, I'd say ninety five percent should have been a goal, but I still would have said it was a good goal when it when it did go in. <laughs> Watkins should have scored, but this is this is the worst, right? Watkins Watkins is a centre forward as well. I don't know why he's diving in with his head there. I think the the flight in that ball means he can just step in and and try to go at that with his feet as well, and he should know a lot fucking better. But at least he gets a header on target whenever he makes a bad decision. The Leon Bailey one, I'm not sure what he was at the second one. I'm not sure what he was attempting there. So fair play for identifying that he was trying to go at it with his instep. I mean, I had the the benefit of the same footage and replays as you, and I'm still not sure what the fuck he was playing at. (laughs) So who do you have for a winner? They're all losers, Connor. (laughs) The Peter Eichelman What the Fuck Award. (laughs) Why did Darwin Nunes leave it? 
<laughs> you know that one that comes down the left and it gets played to Darwin Nunes who leaves it and then why did Tyrone Mings leave it and then why did he clatter his goalkeeper when he left it he stepped over the ball after Darwin Nunes stepped over the ball Nunes should have been taking his own shot Tyrone Mings should have been clearing it but he decides to step over it um, this was the one it was a great ball from Allison. Starts it starts at the back for Liverpool lovely ping out to Robertson who's just motoring away and he slices that ball, and he doesn't slice it, but he, he sifts it in in front of Nunes, who decides to step over it, and then Tyrone Mings decides to copy him, and then run into Robin Olsen. Uh, <laughs> it's, 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 this is really, who who was worse here? What was the biggest what the fuck? Darwin Nunes' decision, or Tyrone Mings'? Yeah, if, if we didn't have the Man City and Brighton games to go on, I'd probably have formed my views on Olsen's performance, you know, with the same nuance and sensitivity that I normally do, and just assumed that Tyrone Mings had once again concussed our goalkeeper. It was absolutely insane stuff that they've all just gone barreling over there. And Nunes, there's no one there. I don't know why he's leaving that. I mean, maybe we're being a bit kind, suggesting that he was leaving it. Maybe he was trying that volleyed Cruyff again, and he just missed it this time, as he has done so many times this season. And, yeah, bizarre decision. He's too... He's he's in front of the near post. It's grand. He can easily finish that. Tyrone Mings has to adjust his feet quicker. And Robin Olsen has to get out of the way whenever Toronto Mings is in the six-yard box, as Emmy Martinez found out a few months ago. <laughs> yeah. uh, the next, the next uh, nomination for the Peter Lincoln What the Fuck Award probably testament to the chaos that that, that Darwin Nunes rains down on people in front of him. Like the, <laughs> he's chasing a ball over the top. Conza is there. Like he's he's done the work. He's he's gotten there. Like he's ahead of him, and he tries to. He tries to get rid of it and in doing so he just balloons it into the air like his head scrambled everybody knows about the pace of Nunes and he's he seems to be freaked out by it so he just lifts it into the air and not only that he lifts it into the air and watches Nunes fly by him into this into this volley that he set up for him really although really shouldn't have been a volley I think like, we, there were a lot of Liverpool chances as well that we could have included in the Ronnie Rossenthal award Nunes should have just taken this down. Like we're talking about McGinn choosing to head it and Ollie Watkins choosing to head it. Nunes chooses to volley a ball dropping from the sky over his shoulder. <laughs> and you know, he gets it on target and, and Olsen saves it, but he should have brought it down and and just scored, really. It's absolutely dreadful from Konza. I mean, take a touch, pass it back, head it back, hoof it properly. Don't do that. And fucking Rabbit Olsen gets caught in the headlights and freezes on his penalty spot. And then Nunes, <laughs> who has looked at Olsen, so he so he's not so he knows he's not coming because he's he can see he's dazzled. And he has presumably seen him play during this game as well. So he knows he's not coming because he knows he can't move. Decides to fucking volley that. What he there is so much space between Konza who's behind him and Olsen who's in front of him that he can easily even take a shit touch there. And yeah. taking the touch, if he can volley it straight down the middle with that fucking dropping ball, he can take a fucking touch with that as well. I don't know <laughs> what he was worried about. Take that down, son, and just go past our immobile goalkeeper. There was, <laughs> there was one There was one in the second half as well where 
Henderson had to chase one of his own passes at one stage and tell Nunes to leave it because Henderson realised immediately after he struck it, because Henderson never looks before he hits the ball, he could see that it was Nunes chasing it down and he just knew he was offside and he had to run towards Nunes and say, leave it, leave it, and pick (laughs) up his own fucking pass. That tells you about Dinia's positioning as well. But any time I'm watching... That tells you about everything about that performance for both teams tonight. (laughs) Anytime I'm watching Liverpool when they're not playing Villa and Nunes isn't playing, I'm annoyed. He just makes games more interesting with his utter unpredictability and chaos when he's on the pitch. Yeah, yeah, no, he's definitely, definitely fun to watch. Um, the the annoying thing about this uh, chance for Nunes as well was that, like just it started again with Villa and like Villa turned Liverpool over high up and. Nice bit of play. Do you remember that filthy uh, Buendia flick into Luca Dean, who was coming in off the left? Mm. And he has to, he has to come onto his right foot because he is coming in off the left, and he doesn't have a fucking clue what to do, and he just <laughs> falls over. He falls. Trent Alexander Arnold, I think, is uh, running alongside him, and Dina is stunned. Like you're talking about Robin Olsen being a rabbit in the headlights. Dina doesn't know what to do now that it's on his right foot and does nothing. Falls over and Liverpool break and. In fairness, it's it's not now we're cut open by this. We're cut open because Kanza decides they balloon it into there. But uh, yeah, that's how all that started. And the only other nomination I have for the what the fuck award was look at Dean at the age of his own box this time, sleeping, standing on the ball, doing nothing on the ball until Salah comes in and takes it off. <laughs> I was like, what? <laughs> Move! Like, what are you doing? Like, the rest of the team were at the other side of the spectrum where they were too freaked out, too panicked too weary of Liverpool closing them down and look at Dean I don't know what he was on like he was on a complete opposite medication anyway for this game <laughs> yeah this this came at a really bad time for Dina. he just dragged his arse up the pitch and then dragged it back again and the only reason he found himself at the edge of the box because he dragged his arse to get back and he there was no point in going to left back because that opportunity had passed but when you find yourself in a peculiar situation play it fucking cool Get your shit together, fake it. I mean, you've seen your teammates here at the edge of the box before. Just try to remember what they did. Like, I, I know Luca Dean has seen the guy Goma interview. Just go with it. Pretend you're a competent footballer, Luca. The cameras are fucking rolling here. Let's do the Vimin meter. People have gone up. Um, obviously, I think given what I had started this show with I think anyone could be contested and you know in either direction but I've got Kamara and Douglas Louise to start with and probably because we've just seen Liverpool that three man midfield completely dominate us so often um, and that's structure but I think these two when Villa got it going they were really bossing the midfield at a stage and it was uh, it was just heartening to see and I think it just really helped the structure and it flew confidence through the team as well with these two ball players in there absolutely ball players with a bit of defensive noise as well and Liverpool had to change their entire midfield setup as the second half wore on because these two were dominating the game so much yeah, they're both definitely going up um, going up I'm sort of at a loss now to to really really nail down somebody with a lot of confidence Um. <laughs> Part of me just wants to say Ashley Young for the hell of it, but I don't. I don't think so. I don't think Ashley Young's going up today, right? No, I don't think so. No way, no way. The only the only other person I would think that would be going up 
until he absolutely cocked up his entire game was John McGinn. Because even as you were running through the Rosenthal Award there, you mentioned his name so many times in the creating the chances. And I was thinking for the first 50 or 60 minutes of that game, I think this is John McGinn's best position. Being part of a flat four-man midfield on the right wing where he can come inside, he can use that grand creativity. I would say he's definitely not a number 10, but he can do some lovely things with his left foot out there. And he can work like a dog when he's out there then as well. And he can tuck inside. He can help the fullback. I think that is his best position. He just needs to stop heading balls that are eight yards out and bouncing up. <laughs> Imagine saying that. That's that's what you need to stop now. You need to that you. Um, yeah, no, it is. It is a good position. It does seem to suit him. It'll be interesting to see how he how he moves forward. And he seems to be back in favour anyway. It'll be interesting now when Jacob Ramsey comes back too. Like sort of how he just gives Villa options really, but and different options, which is nice as well. Going. I suppose like a lot of people could be going down as well, and maybe Konza. I know it's not easy with with Darwin Nunes, and you know, but he just seemed to be caught out a few times, a few times too many with balls over the top. I would have preferred him to be dealing with them earlier and easier, or just not dealing with them as well, and realizing and accepting that he can't deal with them and get himself back into a better position to then handle the secondary situation that he now has to handle there was too many you say balls over the top as well. there was a lot of balls through the fucking middle <laughs> that were just going in yeah. between Kanza and Mings and it was on Kanza's side but they're both at fault there like, they need to be closing that off going down the, the linesman for forgetting this flag obviously he's he's <laughs> going down um, going down uh, bit of uh, introspection here but the the sting that says Dean Smith will never get another team promoted from the championship actually maybe maybe that is accurate maybe he won't get another team promoted from the championship um, at Norwich or like he, he is finished at Norwich so it's um or sorry Jesus here we go Norwich he is finished at Norwich never thought we'd have that problem um yeah like it's it's, it's unfortunate that it didn't work out for him very strange move I thought I thought he didn't have to do that not just because I predicted that he wouldn't have to worry about being in the championship again, but he should have just taken a breather. Like so many jobs came up that season, and not long after the Villa job as well, after his stint at Villa was over, he should have just paused for a few weeks at least. Never mind, just within the first week, taking the worst team in the league who were already going down. It was a it was a weird weird decision from him. He jumped at it too quickly. Obviously, wasn't ready to be sacked. Probably came as a bit of a shock. And he just wanted to jump back in. He had a lot of energy. It didn't seem like it was going that badly. I haven't watched their game, so I can't, I'm conscious. Of, I hate when people talk about Aston Villa and they don't, don't know what they're talking about and they haven't seen it and they haven't <laughs> been through what we've been through. Um, so I'm not going to I'm not going to sit here and cast aspersions on Norwich this season. They're still in the, in the playoffs and he has shown over a consistent period of time, especially at Aston Villa, that he's able to put runs together and like clutch runs as well, actually when he really needs to do it, and prolonged runs. He's done that over seasons, not just one-off 10 games in a row in the championship when he needed to win 10 games in a row. Um, so I, I don't know, it felt like it felt like maybe trigger-happy, but once again, a, a caveat it with not having seen Norwich this season. I, I think we covered how much of a moron Smith was at the time, and then again at the time of the relegation as well. I mean, it was just... The impulsive decision of a scorned lover and the mistakes we can all make, Conan, when yeah. we're on the rebound and when we're trying to prove something to the world and probably more importantly to ourselves that we can get back in the game, we can do this again. But you don't have to 
do it with everyone you meet. <laughs> well, one man who's not going to be on the rebound is you, Liam, because <laughs> because you're getting married, and this isn't a a segment where we're going to talk about your wedding, but it is uh, to point out to listeners um, that unfortunately. <laughs> it's good news that you're getting married and we're all very happy for you but unfortunately we're not going to be podcasting for the next two games for Spurs and Wolves which is the first time we would have done it um, and it is obviously very special circumstances and there is nothing else that we'd ask you to do um, so we're going to let you go enjoy your wedding and enjoy your honeymoon and we'll we'll maybe be back for like a, maybe a review podcast of those two games ahead of the next game the next league game so um just bear with us and please uh keep liam i going to say keep liam in your thoughts please wish liam uh, <laughs> all the best <laughs> as he goes off on this brilliant day and brilliant journey that he's about to embark on keep liam in your thoughts as he ends his single them as well i thought you were gonna say there <laughs> i should be life. saving this stuff for the wedding speech really I wouldn't be saving any of that for a wedding speech, mate. I, I was actually just worried there at the start that you were going to begin talking about the, the wedding fashion choices that we were all going to be making. <laughs> Somebody did get in touch to say they wanted to talk about you and I, Emery's coat. But I'm not That's going to right, Conan. You, you, can touch, you can have a conversation with them if you want. <laughs> but I also have a very similar coat to you and I, Emery, so I'm not going to go there. It seemed like they were slagging the coat, and I thought, oh, Jesus, this is this is very on Conan fashion here, so maybe I'll just keep quiet on this one. As well, <sighs> Nice way to slip out of your wedding talk, though. <laughs> and that was it. I was going to just say, uh, questions we can't answer is, obviously, once again, are you going to be leaving me to deal with the litany of shit when Aston Villa lose and people are looking for some sort of release and looking to hear some sort of take on uh, their next loss. But maybe they won't. Maybe they'll win and people will just accuse us of not podcasting because there's good news to podcast about. They'll, <laughs> so, they'll get our views on it, Conan. They'll get our views. We'll come back. We'll talk about the Spurs defeat. Don't worry about that. We'll talk about the Wolves defeat. We'll do it just five days after they happen. Yeah. And no, it's probably a good way... A good way to use your wedding to remind people to subscribe to the Villa podcast as well. Uh, wherever you do listen to them, it, it does help just when you are subscribing. It helps push it up the feed, helps reach more people, and it just lets you know, obviously, when, whenever an episode drops. So uh, do that if you haven't done it already. Thanks a million for listening. Um, I suppose it's the end of the year as well, so thanks a million for being with us for another year. And uh, we'll see you in the new year at some stage, just not on the 1st of January. Uh, all the best. See you later. That wind is calling my name And I